You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. All right, united in prayer, and now united, I pray, in finding a Bible and opening that up to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter uh, 2. And with that, as we open up our Bibles to Revelation 2, we start a series today which is entitled, um, A Word for the Church. A Word for the Church. You know how the church uh, needs a word Today, Now what we find as we approach Revelation chapter 2 and 3 is where we will be in this series, Lord willing. What we find in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 is we find seven letters that are written to seven churches within Asia Minor. Seven letters, seven churches in the province of Asia Minor here. Now each letter becomes a prophetic word from Jesus given through the Holy Spirit, and then written down by John, okay? So hear that again. Each letter is a prophetic word from Christ through the Holy Spirit to John, which becomes a word then for the church. Each of these letters, seven of them, which is going to take us for the next several weeks to see that God has a word for his church. Now just to get, again, on the same page, and I like maps, I've learned over 10 plus years here in the church, you like maps too, so we're going to show a map here of the churches that we are uh, addressing within this um, initial chapters of the book of Revelation. All right, and so what we see here is this island of Patmos right here. This is where John, who wrote Revelation by the Holy Spirit, he's exiled. You can see this little tiny island here. You can look close. It looks pretty exciting, right? You see a dot probably from where you are. But here it is, this little island, and about 60 miles kind of south here of the coastline. And here are the seven churches that we will be addressing within the seven letters to the churches in Revelation. They're all in red there. So the agency, and we get a bit of the, of the context of what's happening. This is all within the first century. And so I always appreciate this. I hope you do too. You can see kind of where they are and what would have been happening. The church in the first century as God was moving and these are the purposes. Jesus says, I have a word uh, for the church. Now these seven letters found in these early chapters, they have been well preached and well studied ever since they were written. And there's a few reasons for that. The first one is, what we read, they were actual conditions in actual churches in an actual point of time, okay? So real churches, real events, real problems, real exhortations. The second reason we find here that this has been well studied is these letters paint a portrait of the church that can be located at any one or point of time of history. So the picture painted in these letters, you can go throughout history and you can identify similarities throughout the church in the last 2,000 years, including today as well. So actual conditions, they're painting a picture of the church as a whole, and the reason these letters are also loved, it's going to address our individual hearts as well. We will find ourselves resonating and being convicted by the Spirit of God as these letters are preached over us. So this becomes a word for the church in the first century, but this, of course, becomes a word for the church today as well. One of the things I want you to be aware of, if you've been here since the summer or maybe well before, and if you haven't, then I want you to see this here. In August, we had Psalm 31, and that was In God We Trust. 
Psalm 31, then from Psalm 31, we went to Because I Said So, the series on the power and the authority of the Word of God. And now we're in the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation, okay? I want you to see the intended progression. Psalm 31, trust in God, okay? From trust in God, how do we do that? We trust in His Word, the authority of God's Word. Okay, trust in God, trust in his word, and now we move on to these revelation letters, but now specifically, what is God's word for his church? Okay, do you see that? Psalm 31, trust in God. How do we trust in God? In his word, because I said so. How do we trust God specifically in his word? What does he say? And now specifically, the word for the church in the letters of revelation. Just trying to show you there is some method to our madness, all right? Just want you to know that. And there is intention. Say, this is the progression. Trust him. Trust his word. Now, what's his word for us today? And as we jump into each letter, each church carries a very specific theme as given by the Holy Spirit. A specific word for them then. A specific word for us now. Okay? So every church has a word that's attached to it as the message Jesus wants them to hear. We get the benefit of all seven. Here's the series outline that I want to go through. I like showing this to you. I want to get on the same page together. Here's where we're going, Lord willing. Today is a letter to those lacking in love. The church in Ephesus. Week number two, a letter to the suffering, the church in Smyrna. Then week number three, a letter to the faithful. Don't give up, don't give up, the church in Pergamum. Then week number four, this is going to be a very intense week, okay? A letter to those who are indulged in sexual immorality. And the spirit of Jezebel was upon the church here in Thyatira. And then week five, a letter to the spiritually dead. Jesus, like, you think you're alive? No, actually, you're dead. I mean, these are important words, church in Sardis. Week six, Lord willing, a church, a letter to the, to the persevering, the church in Philadelphia. Yes, there was a city called Philadelphia before the one we see down in Pennsylvania, all right? And then finally, week number seven, a letter to the, this is an important one too, a letter to the lukewarm. And um, that's going to take, it's hard to believe it, it's going to take us right up until Christmas. Um, this is the church in Laodicea. That is hard to believe. I mean, today's November 1st, huh? What happened to August, man? What happened, what happened to May a little while ago, and now we're November, and this is taking us right into Christmas Eve? I mean, whoa, what is going on here? But God is moving, and I pray we are excited. So, week number one, first letter to the first church, the church of Ephesus. We find a letter to those who are lacking in love. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. Check it out. John writes, uh, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, okay? It's a very strong commendation by the Lord to the church at Ephesus. Verse four, things change. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, here's the condition. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you tell me, Yes, for the three of us who responded. Unless, unless you, notice, unless you, unless you repent. Verse six, yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. 
And this is, this is a phrase now that's said in all seven letters right here. In verse 7, the, the way it ends here, um, he who has an ear, let him hear what notice. The capital as Holy Spirit says to the churches. And then there's a variation of this kind of phrase at the end of each letter too. Each letter carries its own formula. But each formula is consistent through the letters and they insert different things. But notice verse 7, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Okay? So let's start then naturally with verse 1. To the angel in the church of Ephesus write. Okay, first of all, um, the church of Ephesus. The church of Ephesus was the most prominent church of the seven churches listed in these letters. It was located in a very significant city. At the time of the early church, the city of Ephesus was estimated to have somewhere between 250,000 to half a million people. That is very, very huge for that day. It was an important city. It was well-traveled. It was the primary harbor in the province of Asia Minor. Ephesus was a big deal as it was a city. Okay, I want you to also notice this. Notice three key people in verse 1. Three key people we need to see, not just for this letter, but the other six letters that are coming as well. Three things. First of all, notice this. Notice, this is on the screen for you too, just in case you want to see. Notice I'm the author, okay? Notice first the author. It says in verse 1, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, okay? Plain and simple right here, this is none other than Jesus Christ our Lord. To him, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. For further proof, look at Revelation chapter 1, look at verse 12. So one chapter back, Revelation chapter 1, verse 12, okay? Look at what John wrote here. He said this. This is such a great text. He says, Revelation 1, 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstand, that's amazing because the lampstands are the church, we're going to find out. One like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were like white, like wool, and as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was, was like the sun shining in full strength. Somebody say awesome. Awesome. And then note what John says in verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Yeah, I bet you did. Notice the, notice the transcendence, the glory of God, Jesus Christ. And then notice what comes next, the imminence. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Wow, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I love this phrase. I have the keys of death in Hades. So whenever I'm studying scripture and there's a description of the majesty or the glory or the attributes of God in my study habits, I underline that in yellow because yellow shows me this is the description of God and his awesomeness and his glory. So I'm yellow all right here, and, and you can do whatever you want. This stuff helps me. Verse 19 uh, right there for the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place um, after this. Okay, so back to chapter 2, verse 1. Okay, the words of him, the words of him that we just read about, these are his words. The words of him, I love verse 18, that holds the keys to death and Hades. 
Okay, one of my favorite lines in the New Testament, Jesus Christ is the only one in the history of the universe who holds the keys that can open up the prison door of death and hell. Jesus Christ, you might be here right now to hear this truth right now. You are here by appointment from God to hear this. You are longing for life. You are longing for truth. You are longing for purpose. You know there's sin in here. You know that you can't do it on your own. You know you're a wretch. You know you're messed up. You know you can't find satisfaction in yourself or this world. You know you need someone else. You know inherently you are dying because of sin as well. Jesus Christ says to you today, I hold the key key and I alone hold the key that can open up the door to death and Hades. Jesus says I am the way and the truth and the life. I hold all glory. I'm the God of kindness and love and compassion and mercy. Jesus Christ says to you today, I am the only one. I am the only one who can set you free from misery, from suffering, from death and hell itself because I alone hold the keys to death and Hades. This is the power and the majesty of Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here right now to hear just that much right here today because Jesus is calling you to be saved in him as you believe in him that your sins are placed with him and he sets you free to everlasting life. This is the glory of the gospel. This is the power of why we exist. All said right there in one little phrase, to him who holds the keys to death and Hades. Notice what chapter 2, verse 1 says too. And to him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. I love this. Don't you love this when you stare at the text? There's so much here. Jesus holds the seven stars in his right hand. You know what that says? It says Jesus Christ is awesome and Jesus Christ is sovereign. Jesus Christ holds all authority. He's in control. Loved ones, loved ones, he's got us. He's got us. He's got us. No one can thwart his plans. And then notice it says this too. In verse 1, chapter 2. And who walks among the seven golden lampstands. You know what that means? That means Jesus is with us right now. Jesus cares so much about his church. I love picturing Jesus walks among the seven golden lampstands, the churches that we're going to be looking at within this series. And what that means is Jesus is walking up and down the rows right now. And Jesus is walking right through the aisles right now. And Jesus cares about this place way more than we do. He cares about his church so much. He's walking through the churches of Canada and North America and Europe and across this globe. Jesus Christ is so passionate about his church. And this is just the author of these letters. Here's the next person I want you to see. It's, it's the messenger. Look at verse one. The beginning, it says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Now, there's debate over the word angel. Some understandably want to see it as an angelic being. However, strong arguments against this are the fact that angels do not sin, and later on within this text, they are charged with forms of sin. Also, also, it's hard to understand why God would send his word to Jesus, then send it to John, then send it back to an angel. I think the best explanation is that often in the New Testament, the word angel can also mean messenger. So this would mean then these angels or messengers would be representative pastors or leaders within the church. So Jesus says, I give my word through the Holy Spirit to John. John, you give these, these, these words then to the messengers, to the pastors, representative leaders, that they might now go and distribute this message to the churches. 
So we have the author, we have the messenger, and then thirdly we have this, we have the recipients. The recipients. Now, many try to read into Scripture more than they need to, and in the process what we can do is pass over simple logic because what's listed here, we see the seven stars and the seven golden lampstands. But as the saying goes... The saying goes, I like the saying, goes like this. It says, if the plain sense makes good sense, seek no other sense, lest it result in nonsense. Okay? I'll say that one more time for those of you who need to hear things twice. And that's okay. I do too sometimes, all right? If the plain sense makes good sense, seek no other sense, lest it result in nonsense. Because people say, well, the seven stars, who are they? The seven golden, who are they? Who are they? Well, look at chapter 1, verse 20. Revelation 1, verse 20. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels, messengers of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. All right, there you go. Debate's over. We know. We know. Jesus just told us, thank you, Lord. All right? So just to recap, Jesus has a word. He's got a word for the church. He's the author. He's setting messengers. And we are the recipients, as the recipients were in the first century, the people in the church. And what Jesus does right now, he takes this first letter to the first church in Ephesus, and I think he goes right for the spiritual jugular. And this is what we're going to see then within this text. Jesus goes for what matters most. He who has ears, let him hear. Oh, God, give us ears to hear today by your grace. Give us ears to hear and this takes us then, it's a bit of an introduction, obviously, which is so important, I believe, as we go forward. I hope you appreciate that. But this takes us to our first point now of this message in the church of Ephesus and the church of Oakville, which is this. Um, our first importance must be our first love. Our first importance in our lives must be our first love for God. So Revelation 2, look at verse 2 now. Jesus says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Okay, so, so I read verses 2 and 3, and I'm like, man, wow. Church of Ephesus is rocking. The church of Ephesus, man, they got a lot going on, and they do. They're serving well. They are, they got leadership organized. They have strong conviction. They are persevering in the face of false teaching and different forms of persecution. Here's how I want to break down what's happening in verses 2 and 3. And by very much help from Warren Wearsby, uh, he gave five S's for the church in Ephesus here. Notice this about this church in Ephesus just in verses 2 and 3. Number one, they were a, a serving church. And this is on the screen for you too if you care to write these things down. They were a serving church. Jesus says, I know your works. Okay? Let's stop there for a second. The first two words capture my heart and my attention. Jesus says, I know. Every letter, loved ones, of these seven letters, Jesus starts off by saying, I know. I know. Adrian, Jesus, Jesus knows. He knows everything that's going on in your life and mine. He knows everything that's happening in this church. It's not Jesus is ever up in heaven saying, okay, what are they up to now? Are they hiding from me? I can't quite see what's going on. Jesus knows every, every single letter. I know, I know, I know. Now, two things happen to me when I understand Jesus knows everything. That sobers me. There's no pastor getting away with sin. There's no church getting away with falling off the map and going into some terrible position. There's no, there's no denomination that can go outside the knowledge and the sovereignty. It sobers me. There's one in control. It's not us. It's him. It also 
incredibly encourages me as well. The fact that Jesus Christ knows. You know what encourages me so much? It encourages me in this truth. There's no one who cares more about the church of Jesus than Jesus. Jesus says, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Every letter Jesus starts with, you can read it there, I know. And what does he know? He knows, first of all, he says, I know your works, church of Ephesus. So they're a serving church. I know your works. This church wasn't lazy. They were active. They were serving. They were busy for the Lord. Many of us right here, we desire to be an active, engaged, serving church. It's part of knowing Christ. We find this out also. They were a sacrificing church. Jesus says, I know your works and your toil. Toil means to work hard. So the church at Ephesus, they were laboring for the Lord. There was a sacrifice of time. There was energy and effort given for the church. Jesus appreciates a church that gives their best. They're working hard. I do a lot of coaching throughout the year, coach sports, coach my kids in sports, and as a coach, I love athletes who work hard. You know what I'm saying? The lazy kid drives me crazy. Come on, man, give it your best. Come on, come on. I love working with, with kids who decide I want to work hard. Fires me up, man. I tend to pastor a lot too. I love working with staff who work hard. I love it. It inspires me, and it just fires me up to see them giving. I'm not trying to make them workaholics, but while you're here, give your best. You always say that around here. While you're here, give your best. You might as well, if you're going to serve in the church, give your best while you're here. Go home, enjoy your family, do that. While you're here, give your best. I love working with people who work hard. I love, it's so good to work hard. My favorite moments of the week is after the weekend and going home, cup of soup, and again, watching, losing football team. And we're sitting there watching, the things, but sitting there, it feels so good to rest after you worked hard, amen? Listen, Jesus, Jesus loves a church that works hard. Jesus loves a church that is, is going for his glory and desiring to give their best for him. That was Ephesus. Man, they had a lot of great things happening. They were a serving church, sacrificing church thoroughly. They were a steadfast church. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. I love that translation. Patient endurance. So they didn't give up. They remained under trial. Loved ones, look here, look here. This church, um, they didn't quit. They didn't quit. They didn't quit. They were resolved to remain where they needed to be, serving church, sacrificing church. They were a steadfast church. Fourthly, they were a separated church. And Jesus says, I know how you cannot bear evil or false teachers, and you are seeking to discern right and wrong. Again, this is very impressive, rooting out evil men, uh, detecting false teachers, seeing them out. This is a massive New Testament emphasis to discern false teaching, guard the good deposit, watch out for those who are coming in to try to steal and, and, and kill people with their, with their non-truths. This is the church of Ephesus serving, sacrificing, steadfast, separated. And then lastly, we see this, they were a suffering church in, in verse three, a suffering church. He says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up. Notice this, for my name's sake. So they weren't doing this just so they could feel good about themselves. They were suffering for the name and the sake of Jesus Christ. It was for his name. Jesus says that right there. Okay, so time out, time out. If we stop right there and we look at the church of Ephesus, that's an impressive resume. That's hard to poke holes in. They were doing so many things so well. We admire, in fact, what those five things, we would preach about these things in this church often and passionately. But let's just allow then the truths of verses two and three to bring that much more impact in verse four to what Jesus cares about most within the people who belong to his family and in his church. Verse four. 
but. When he says but, technically there are nine things listed in verses two and three, nine great things about the church. When he says but, that all ends. Now it's a new thought. And here's what he really wants them to know. Verse four. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. I believe right here in verse four, we have just arrived at one of the more weighty verses in the entire New Testament. Jesus says so clearly what he wants more than anything else. He is stating with clarity and with passion his heart and desire for the church. I've been amazed in recent days how jealous God is for the love of his people. Have you recognized that? I'm reading Hosea right now in my own quiet time. I can't get over how much God wants the love of his church, of his people. I can't get over how often God is like, won't you love me? Won't you love me? Won't you get your idols? Won't you smash them? Won't you come and repent of your sin? Won't you come and love the one who has given you everything you could ever want in life? And here we have another example of the passion and the love that God wants to see from you and I and his church. The heart of verse four in one word is love. The heart of verse four in two words is first love. So the Ephesian church, 40 years previously when they began, they started on fire. But whatever happened over those four decades, some form in some way, their heat for Christ had cooled off. They were active, they were busy, but their love had grown cold. And notice how Jesus describes this love. He says, you have abandoned the love you had at first. First love. What does first love mean to you? If you think of first love, what does it look like to you? What does it mean to you? So as a pastor, I get to see a lot of weddings. And I stand at the front, and there's normally the groom and the bride, and they are there. And, um, and you watch them getting married on their day, and they're pretty fired up with love. They're excited. They are giddy. Sometimes the bride is going like this, you know, and just like, you know, when do I get to kiss them? When do I get to kiss them? Stuff like that, right? And they are there, and they only see the best in each other. All they can imagine is this will always be this way. This love will never change. We are going to ride off into perfect harmony for the rest of our lives. And you're watching this first love, and it's really exciting. It's, it's really engaging. It's really encouraging. But what happens then 5, 10, 15, 25 years later, and all of a sudden, the first love, the excitement, the joy, the believing the best about each other, and somehow that seemingly in so many situations, it has worn off. And, and in a lot of cases, that once was delight, it's turned into duty and almost putting up with one another in some cases. And so much seemingly has changed. What, what's happened there? The, the first love has not progressed. It has, it has been diminished. Or how about as a parent when a child is born and you hold your baby the first time in your hands and you see the creation of God that you've been blessed with and tears just stream down your face and you're like, my child, my beautiful, beautiful child, my child in this moment of glory and you're so filled with wonder and expectation and it's so wrapped up in the cute little blankets and you're like, this child will surely never sin. Never, never. This child just so perfect and so, so cute and, and you're there but then what happens in that first love moment and even sometimes a few months later or a few years and then something changes and this child that you once held in, in such optimism, this child begins to now drive you crazy at times. And this child starts to sin a lot. And this child, in some cases, maybe a decade or two later, you actually find yourself, I hear this, you actually find, as a parent saying, when will this child move out? <laughs> now, 
teenagers and young adults, it's good to move out at some point, okay? It's good. That, that's healthy. But what happens when the parent's saying, this will never change? And then all of a sudden they find themselves so aggravated. And Well, the first love in some cases has, has been diminished. And most importantly, the example I want you to see, and this is what is so real for us, it's the day our man or woman is saved and the extreme joy, the extreme passion, the extreme love for Christ, the fire that is there, the zealousness, the intensity, the pursuit, the joy again in the Lord, but then over time something changes. Listen, over time as believers walk with the Lord, sometimes and too often the mornings are not as early. The Bible is not as quite as worn. The songs are not as often sung. The prayers are not as strong as they once were. And what was that delight in first? I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. I see my sin, I see my Savior, I cannot believe. And that delight has turned in again to duty and in many believers' lives can even have become a chore. I'll do it because I know I should, but I don't want to, and I just, fine, I'll do it. This is what Jesus is addressing within this verse and this passage right here. Let me read verse four again. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Notice, love, once the word abandoned. It's a very key word in this verse, okay? Notice, notice, listen carefully. This is not I lost my first love. This is I have left. I have left my first love. The difference between losing something and leaving something is significant, okay? When I lose something, okay, I lose it by accident, okay? There's one child in our home who will remain unnamed at this point, but he or she has a tendency of losing things often, okay? But that's not by choice. That's by accident. Where did I put it? When you lose something, you're like, where, where is it? Where? If you knew where it was, you would find it. But because you, don't, you lost it, so I don't know where it is. But listen, when you leave something, that's not accident. You are placing something down, and you are walking away fully knowing that you have left that item, that thing, that state of mind, whatever it is. I have left that posture. And the difference between losing, I don't know where it is. When you have left something, you know exactly where it is. You know exactly where you left it. And Jesus makes the point here, he says, it's not that you lost it. It's that you've left it. You've left first love with choice and intention. So let's open ourselves up right now, not to the condemnation of the enemy, not interested in that at all, but let's open ourselves up right now to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Have we, have we left our first love? Has our heart grown cold? Has our worship gone stale? Has our relationship with God become ritual as individuals, as families, as a church? The hymn writer so wonderfully said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Just take a moment right now and can you remember first love with Jesus Christ, a first love fervency? Just the, it, Part of what the Bible is gonna tell us right now is remember those times. What was that like? What did you feel? What was happening in that moment? Can you think of times over the reality of the gospel that you shed tears of joy because you were so broken 
in the reality and the fact that Jesus Christ would save a sinner like you? This is such an important point. It's to understand our sin and see the holiness and love of God. Has there been a time recently, can you remember the last time you actually shed tears of joy and brokenness over the love of Christ upon your life? How long has it been since the holiness of God has been seen and in light of the filth of our sin, it just busted us? Because when we're in these places, that's where the, the love of Christ will be found. How long has it been since you have seen God's mercy cover your awful sin, my awful sin? Often when I'm in worship and I feel my heart growing cold or I'm distracted, going, I will often think back to the day I was saved. I will think back to who I was. I will think back and I shudder in the sin that I was committing, like shudder and be so filled with shame. And yet then I saw the grace of God in ways I did not deserve it. I, I, I didn't know it was happening. It's, it's, it's chosen before the foundation. Why me, why me, why me? And then the awareness of the cross, the awareness of God's love, the awareness of his grace, the awareness of his forgiveness, the awareness of the undeserved mercy of God upon a wretch like me. And all you can do in that moment, in that place, is have a softened heart that moves towards saying, I deserve nothing but death. And yet in Christ, this is what you presented to me by the gospel for reasons I can't explain and at times cannot fully articulate. In an attempt to recapture the love that should be known upon our lives. Because we so easily abandon the love. But God cares so much about this love. And he says, I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first, Jesus wants our love. He, even today, he, he wants your love. So there's, there's a lot of us here right now just saying, man, I, I hear what's being said. I, I hear what God's saying through his words to me right now. And what do I do? What do I do? Well, I'm, I'm thankful that Jesus tells the church in Ephesus what to do. And he, he tells us what to do right now, too. That's point number two is this. I'm, our response must be repentance. Our first response to our first importance, it must be repentance now. Because look at verse five. Verse five, he says this. He says, remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent, okay? So this is such an important verse. I want you to see four R's. Three of them are right in the text. One of them is inherent, Four R's within this verse. Such a word for the church here. Knows what Jesus says. You've left your first love. The first step is remember. Remember from where you have fallen. And this command is continual. Keep on remembering. Don't forget what the Lord has done. Don't forget the grace of God. The power of recalling. The story of the prodigal son and its most powerful moment when the, when, the, when the son, the younger son is out there and it says he came to his senses and he almost turns and remembers, why am I here, man, feeding with the pigs? And he remembers the provision and the warmth and the grace of his father and he remembers and he turns and he humbles himself to go to his father. That was the turning point of this young man's life. He remembered from where he had fallen. Notice the second R here, it's 
It's repent. Repent. And notice that Jesus commands this twice in this verse. What is repentance? Repentance is what um, breaks the dam of whatever sin has been blocking God's power, passion, and love. Let me just say this honestly. As pastor, pastor to people, and just as, as me to myself, but just in love, listen, listen. The reason many of us have no love or passion for Christ in our lives is because we haven't repented in a very long time. The reason you're not the dad you want to be, you haven't repented. The reason you're not the leader that you should be, you haven't repented. The reason you don't have passion in your life, you haven't repented. The reason your heart's been so hard and you haven't forgiven other people because you haven't repented. Repentance without it puts a dam of God's passion and love and grace upon our lives. God works through those who know they need him. I'm just telling you, man, repentance is a daily thing. Now, repentance, it isn't just, wow, I hate my sin. Repentance is saying, I hate my sin. I'm turning other direction, and I'm replacing it with the virtue or attribute of God in my life. Repentance can't just be, I hate lust. Repent, I hate lust. I'm turning. I embrace purity now. Repentance can't just be, I, I don't want to hate that person. I turn from hating that person, and now I love that person. Repentance just can't be, wow, I want to love God more or I repent that I have not loved God more. It is now turning 180 degrees and saying, I repent of not loving you, God, but now I turn and I'm walking to love you, God. I take actual steps now to pursue God. It's a choice of the will, loved ones. We can all choose to repent right now today. All of us. By making steps towards the Lord God Almighty towards Jesus Christ. I mean, even now, together, we could repent of our lack of affection, repent of our idolatry, repent of our cold heart, repent of our apathy, repent of our indifference. All of us could do that. And I'll start. Remember, repent. The third R is, is restore. Restore, verse 5 and and do the works you did at first. So Jesus says, remember, repent, and now do the works you did at first. This is bearing the fruit of a first love heart. What is the fruit of a first love heart? It's, it's this. It's not, it's not actively engaging in ministry again. No, no, no. no, no. It's, it's, it's inherent within us. It's the joy of Christ. It's the hunger for his word. It's the zeal to share our faith. It's the genuine love of other people. Make sure you know this again. Again, if you lack love for other people, it's probably because your vertical relationship is messed up. The vertical impacts the horizontal. Love God, love others. But in that order, love God, love others. And there's a lot of loving others inherent within this text too, but it starts with love God, love Christ. The joy of loving Christ, your soul filled with love for him, it naturally flows from your life into other areas. The single greatest healing power of a marriage is a passionate affection for Jesus Christ. More than it is for one another. The blessing of seeing a home united in love is a passionate affection and, and pursuit of Jesus Christ. It naturally then infects every other relationship you have. It's just the way it works. Restore, do the works you did at first. When we are doing the, the, the fruit of first love, there's a massive gratitude. I discipline myself a lot to sit back and just say, Lord, I thank you, 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 I thank you. Uh, these cold mornings recently, I'm sitting uh, up in the, in the dark in my home and um, I, hear, I hear the furnace come on and the heat starts blowing. Lord, thank you for heat. 
Uh, and then you start from there and like, wow, thank you. Thank you I can sit here in, in peace right now and read. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my... And all of a sudden your heart turns over and you feel a joy and the love because you've taken your emphasis off yourself and you've placed it upon him and you're the giver of all good gifts and all of a sudden you lower, 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 lower as Christ is exalted, exalted. It's a choice of the will to be thankful to him who has given you all things. You can do that as much as I can. But you got to take the time to put yourself in the position to do so. That's the choice of our will. Ultimately, we're saying, oh God, would you restore to me the joy of your salvation, of your salvation. Remember, repent, restore. The fourth R is this. Now, notice this over here, okay? Watch this. We are called to remember. We are called to repent. We are called to restore. But now Jesus says, or I will remove. We do these three, but now Jesus says, if not, then I will remove. This is very, very serious here as we see what's happening in verse five. Look what Jesus says. He says, if not, here's the condition, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent, okay? Does Jesus care about first love in his church? Ah, yes, ah, yes, to the point where he says, he will remove the lampstand from its place. Lampstand, again, the church. For Jesus to remove his lampstand is to remove his presence and his glory from the church. Think about the consequences, okay? Think of how much Jesus cares about our love. So you can have a church um, I'm pursuing intense intellectual understanding, but there's no love for Christ, there's no power. Flip that around. You can have a church obsessed with strategy and program, but no true love for Christ, no Holy Ghost. You can have a church that's so big on excellence and community involvement and the social gospel and all these horizontal things, but if there's no vertical love for Jesus Christ, there's no glory. Ichabod, the glory of God, the glory of God has, has departed. That's why, loved ones, across our nation right now, there are buildings sitting there, often empty, sometimes with a spattering of people, but God has not been there in years. Because he has taken his lampstand and given it to those who love him and love his truth and love him with affection and devotion for the right reasons. Do you know, I am convinced, I am convinced that the reason that we are here as a church, just think, perspective, perspective moment. 13 years ago, no Harvest Oakville. 13 years ago, no five other church plants representing thousands of people in this area. Not insignificant. We didn't exist. Didn't even exist. I am convinced the reason we exist is because the love for Christ has grown cold in other churches. And Jesus is like, okay, you're not going to do it? Lampstand gone? Lampstand to you. But listen, the lampstand of Christ in this place, we cannot take that for granted for one week, let alone another year. The only way he stays with us is if we stay with him. It's right here in the text. I've said this a lot. I'll say it in public right now. I am also convinced. It's not so much about what we're doing in here. It's more about what other people are not doing. It's not that hard. At least it's not that simple. Love the Lord. Preach his word. Serve him and, and humble yourselves in a posture of affection and devotion and gratitude and glory to God. And this is what he calls for from his church. Otherwise, I mean, just think what he's saying. I will take my lampstand and I will remove it. I will check out of the church, Jesus says, and if Jesus isn't there, it becomes a country club of emptiness and nothing. 
which explains a lot across this nation right now. This is why churches come, churches go. This is why denominations come and denominations go. And this is why we must listen. And Jesus says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. So I'm thinking about this a lot this week, and I just found myself praying. I just want to share it with you. I just found myself saying to the Lord, Lord, not us. Please, Lord, not us. Do not remove your glory from us. Do not remove your presence from us. Do not remove your light from us. Oh, God, no. Please, no. Please, no, Lord. If you are not here, we are nothing. Please, God, save us from this. Save us from any danger, Lord, any danger of seeing you not here with us. Please, God, and all I could do in just response is, Lord, is we repent of our apathy. We repent of our hard heart. We repent of our greed. We repent of our lack of hunger for you. We repent of playing games in church. We repent of our reverence. We repent of fearing man and not God. Oh, God, please, anything. Do not, do not leave. Do not take your lampstand from this place. If you are not here, oh, God, we will not live. So, God, lead us to repentance in your kindness that we might find you shining as bright as ever. Be not far off, O oh God. Be not far off. Be not far off from my life. Be not far off from my marriage. Be not far off from my family. Be not far off from the elders. Be not far off from the small group. Be not far off from the, please, Lord, be not far off from us. And the quickest way to find God rushing in is to repent. The quickest way to see God's power and love and grace flow into our lives again is to repent. It's right here in the text. You can never, ever move beyond this. And if anyone is here right now and you don't think you need to repent, well, then you can repent of that very thought. Because somehow you've been led astray and you somehow think this isn't for you. That confirms to me that you have no idea. And you can choose to say, God, forgive me for thinking I don't need to be forgiven. Our first response is first love. Our first importance is first love. Our first response is to repent. And, and now we see this quickly in point number three, then our essential call now, our call. So we have the exhortation, the response, and now we have the call to, to listen. Look at verse six. I'm just going to take a couple of seconds on this. Verse six says, I'm going to pass over verse six on one level, deal with it in week three, church in Pergamum, but yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans. Nicolaitans was most likely a, a heretical sect that was um, leading the church away in sexual immorality and um, idolatry. Okay, we'll, we'll deal with that in the weeks to come. Notice God says, which I, Jesus, I also hate them. Wow. See how seriously Jesus takes sin? But then verse seven, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Hey, 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 look here, look here, look here. Are you listening? Are we listening? Jesus is speaking today. Are we listening? Are we listening? The Spirit of God is speaking. Not me, the Spirit of God is speaking. Are we listening? Every letter, Jesus ends with this. He has a word for the church right now. But then notice this. See, see, part of the difficult word is repent, 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 okay? It's in light, though, of the truths of the gospel. And look what it ends with here. It says, I love the grace. I love the victory that is presented at the end of this letter. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life. Who can conquer? The only person who will conquer is those who are saved by grace through faith. Nothing that they have done. Nothing that they have done but fully relied in the love of the Lord. Listen, listen. if you are here today and you are saved by grace through faith, listen, ready, ready? The Lord loves you. He loves you. He has saved you. He has saved you. 
He is calling you now a conqueror. And it says that those who conquer will eat of the tree of life. When we know the tree of life, Genesis 2, the tree of life given because of sin is gone. But now it's speaking of the new heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem, where the tree of life will be there. Notice which is in the paradise of God. So Jesus now says, man, you're with me. You look ahead and you know life is worth living. You don't get discouraged. You repent. You humble yourself before me. And you think now the victory that you've been given because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because of the grace of God, because of the mercy of God. And let me just end our message today reading Revelation 22 as we hear about the tree of life and Revelation 2. It says this, And the angel showed me the river of the water of life, picture it, picture it, brightest crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side, the river, the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healings, were for the healing of the nations. The tree of life, the one who conquers, all because of Jesus, all because of Jesus Christ. Two people I want to speak to as we close right now. The first person, both are repentance. The first person is repent to love. We are called to repent that we might love. And the second person is Maybe you are called today, not here by accident, that you might repent to live. To live for the very first time. To be saved from death and hell to the one who holds the keys to death and Hades. That you might start this journey of love and you might be overwhelmed with the grace and the love that is found in Jesus Christ. May we be a church, men and women, young and old, that are found desiring to be filled with the first love of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.